0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I love you lots. Happy that you're back. Um, Friends, let's pray. Jesus, that you would be present and glorified, that you would come alive through Scripture that you would put a fire inside our souls and our hearts, and that you would awaken things, that you would call us to you. I pray for us to see, I pray for ears to hear, and I pray for, for you, Son of God, to be lifted high. Father, be glorified. Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Friends, we are busy. We're in the middle of a series called Love Thy neighborhood where we ask the question, how can we be the best people your neighbors could have ever wished to live next to? And um, good question, Gabba. Good question. He came up with it. He's a he's a creative guy. And tonight, I titled the time for us that we're going to spend together, Brother, Where Art Thou? And the aim is for Scripture to reveal to you where your heart is. And if it'll convict you, then that's phenomenal. And that is my hope, and that is my prayer that it'll do. So without any further ado, we're going to go to Scripture. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15. We're going to be at verses 20, classic Luke 15, from verses 24 to 32. And we're going to focus not on this prodigal son, but we're going to focus on the brother tonight. So if you do have your Bible, you can open up. If you don't, you can follow on the screen. So Luke chapter 15 from 24. The son of Man was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he, he has been found. And they began to be merry Now his oldest son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants, and he began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, that's the servant, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry, and he was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered, and he said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, My child, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother's brother of yours was dead, and he has begun to live. He was lost, but he has now been found. Friends, I want us to place ourselves in the shoes of, of the older brother. Now, the older brother is what I call a goody two-shoes deluxe. So, what a goody two-shoes deluxe is, is someone with a perfect TM, trademark. You can't steal my stuff here, people. Come to worship, not to steal. So, what a goody two-shoes deluxe is, is someone with a Perfect side path. And I'm not talking about the stuff where they cut it in with a razor. I'm talking discipline in the mornings. That thing is combed. It's a man who tucketh in his shirt. Okay? It is a man who polishes his shoes to a perfect shine. And he can see his own reflection in it. A goodie two shoes deluxe, the simplest way for me to explain it to. To the good people of Table View, is it's just your run-of-the-mill Afrikaans guy, okay? <laughs> that's a that's a goody-two-shoes deluxe. So now place yourself in this older brother's shoes. I hope you get the picture. He's worked all day and he's worked hard, like he works 365 days of every year, and his back is aching like a pregnant lady who just finished the 10K spa women's challenge. Okay, he's had a hard day. And he approaches the home, and he hears a commotion. And he sees something is happening there. He can hear the music, and he can see the dancing. And now he he, he, he calls one of his servants, Travis! It's a little inside joke. And the... Uh, The servant comes and he says, Trav, tell me, what's happening here? What's happening? And Travis tells him that your brother, the one who was lost, the one who took everything, the early inheritance, is back and he's okay. And your father is so happy that he's okay that he killed a fattened calf and now we're having a celebration. And this leaves him with all kinds of emotions because this brother has turned his back on the family. This is the brother when you mention his name, you have upset everyone around the table. You have spoiled mom's evening completely. So this is the one that we we don't even mention him around the family gathering. Now he's back, and this one person who has caused so much hurt, this one person who has caused so much pain, instead of showing him the door, there's a party, there's dancing, there's a cough, he's drinking out of the father's cup, he's, drink, he's, got, a, he's got a ring on his finger, and you are fuming. And he came back, Because he could no longer afford to be with his best friends, Jack Daniels, (laughs) Paul Revere, Ashley Madison, all those. No longer has money to entertain that. So he's back at his father's house. And he's got nothing. And he looks rough. He looks rough. He doesn't look like the man from the family that he used to be. And just by way of illustration... Those of you who don't know, I'm from Secunda, so it's a rough place, blue-collar town, and uh, we I think we invented the mullet over there. But just to, to give you an idea, he came back, if you think watermelons are bad, he looked like this. He looked like this, okay, proper mullet, um, that's, that's the way he came back. And now you are the oldest son, you've got a perfect side path. And you can see your brother from a distance and you are upset. And with, with good reason, he's fuming and he can see his brother is back in. And what I want us to, to look at is the way that the father treats this older brother. Because I think it's beautiful that God loves all people. He loves the hypocrite as much as he loves the sinner. He loves He loves us all and he loves us all in exactly the same way. And that's where we're going to spend our time here. And and what happens now is the father walks to him and he says, look, your brother. And he says, look, look at him. Look at the way that he looks and you've killed a fattened calf for him. I've never received anything like this. And his heart is broken and I want us to, to just focus on on the father's heart tonight. And, and this father if he could, would take his chest outside of his heart, place it on a table and say, just look, just look, my, my heart beats for both. But he can't do that. He, he needs to settle for words. And the words that he chose was, my child, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to be merry and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead, but he has began to live. He was lost and now he's been found. And in the, the gospel of Luke, there's this theme where Jesus absolutely loves sinners. And it starts at Luke chapter 5, where Jesus calls Levi, um, who was a tax collector. And what happened was that when Jesus called Levi, Levi threw a party at his house, and all his fellow friends were outcasts. And he introduced his friends and fellow outcasts to Jesus, and they came like a house on fire. They were friends. They and now what happened is that the followers of Jesus swole. And in the midst of the people who followed Jesus was this large group, this large number of sinners and tax collectors. And it irritated and it annoyed the Pharisees and the tax collectors so much, so much. And we read throughout the, um, the Gospels that they grumbled. They would say, he, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. And they would grumble um, about that. It was something that that irritated. And God loved the Pharisees and the tax collectors. And he tries to give them pictures for them to understand. And the first thing that he does, he tells them, well, guys, how can I explain this thing to you? How can I make you see things my way? And He gives them a picture. Firstly, sorry, it gives them firstly a picture. There it is of a shepherd seeking and finding lost sheep. And then when he finds that lost sheep, he rejoices. Secondly, he gives him a picture of a woman who lost a coin, and then she goes and she she finds the coin, and she rejoices. And he says, for me, being with these people, it's exactly like that. I found something that was lost, and come and enter into this joy. It's not mutually exclusive for sinners only. It's like, guys, how, how can I put this? Please see this this way. And there was nothing. And now he gives them a third picture. And and that 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 is the picture of a father and a son. Okay, so this this is this is this is what what we are are working with. So the question for me tonight is brother and sister, where, where are you? Where is your heart? Because God is interested in that. And this is what this last part of this parable is all about, about the Pharisees. Because God's love isn't mutually exclusive to sinners. It's to all of us. And it's important for him. And he wants you to enter into into his joy with him. And so I want us to look at the way that this elder brother responded to Jesus' love. This, this this elder brother responded to his father. And the first thing that I want us to look at was the fact that in verse 29, um, we read, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a kid that I might be merry with your friends. So the question that I would like to ask this brother, has he been... Um, Relating to God as a father, or, or has he been relating to his father as a father, or has he been relating to his father as a as a master and he is a slave? Because if you relate to your father as a master, it is dishonoring to the father, number one, it disunites you with your brother, number two, and number three, it is destructive to your Self and to your inheritance because you are wrongly, you're in a wrong relationship with your father because you are not his slave. You are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter. You are not his slave. And we see this that he is relating to his father as a servant and he does things that a slave would do. He sees two things he sees his father as a master who gives commands. And then he sees himself living out and paying and just being obedience, a slave paying obedience. And tell me, is that a picture of a good father? If you think of your father, do you think of someone, if, you, if, if your father teaches you how to do something and you do it and you look at your dad, did I do it right? Was it perfect? Was it perfect? Because I want to obey you. That's not a picture of a loving father That is not the picture that God wants of you. God does not demand perfection because it is impossible. It's unattainable. God wants to relate to us as sons and as daughters. That is the right standing with God. We have a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Only like that. Trying to keep rules and be perfect, it is not an option. We don't achieve or attain a right standing with God by trying to be perfect. That is not the way we... um, That is a distortion of Christianity. It is not Christian life. Acts 17 verse 25, I love it. It says, God is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. For He Himself gives to all men breath and life and everything. It dishonors him as a master in need of slave labor if we think we have to be perfect, which we absolutely do not have to be. Jesus is eating with sinners and he's eating with tax collectors because he's a healer, because he's a physician and these are people in need of help. That is the reason why he reaches out to them. And he's not selling them anything. He doesn't want to trick, nor does he want to entrap anyone into anything. He wants to make all things new, and he wants to make all things beautiful. And that is his agenda. He goes out, he finds the lost sheep, and he rejoices. He goes out, he finds the lost coin, and he rejoices. He's the father that gets the son. that runs to, He runs to his, his lost son that came back, that repented, that humbled himself, and he receives that son with both arms, and he rejoices. It kills a fattened calf, gives him a ring, drinks out of his cup. That is the, that's the heart of the father. He is not a master that demands obedience, like, and and we are uh, not to relate to him like slaves. So I want us to I want to ask the question, brother and sister, where are you? Where is your heart? And test yourself in this. As you look around to the people who's living next to you, your neighbors, and people who's got no inclination to the things of God, and you see what they have, and you see where they live, and you see what they drive, and what their kids are achieving, and all these things, do you look to the Father and say, but I've been faithfully serving you for years and years and years? And where is the evidence of your love in my life. And you know, if that is our attitude, what happens is that we will start to blame God for things that goes wrong in our life because we don't relate to Him as a father, but as a master and a slave. And we think we, are, we deserve and we are entitled of certain things. And we think other people don't deserve certain things because we deserve certain things if we keep a set of rules and laws, which is not, it's a wrong, it's a distortion of Christianity. That's not how we achieve a right standing with God. So what I want to do tonight with you is simply five things from scripture. I want us to uh, look put our attention on on five things and just see how gracious the Father is both to both brothers. And the first thing that I see in verse twenty eight is that the Father came out to the older brother. Um, the father is inside, he's in in the midst the, the festivities with the youngest son and they're having a phenomenal evening. And you know when someone says that something at a dinner party and it's just awkward. You say that awkward thing and it's, oh, you spoiled everything. And the awkward thing that was said at that party is that the slave came in and said the older brother is standing outside and he doesn't want to come into the house. And now it's oh, awkward, oh, this, is, this is this is going to be bad. And the beautiful thing that we see is that the father does exactly the same thing for the for the older brother that he did for the one who was rebellious. He goes to him and he meets him and he has an encounter with him. He doesn't send a slave to go and give him some kind of relayed message. He stands up, he leaves everything, and he meets his son face to face because God desires a relationship that is face to face with you. Whether you are a rebel, whether you are highly religious, God desires intimacy with us, and that is something that gives Him much, much joy. The second thing that I see from Scripture is that the Father began entreating Him. I want us to note the language that the Son used here. He says in verse 29, I never neglected one of your commandments. So put yourself at that party. This is the situation. So they're at a party, they hear the oldest son doesn't want to join. Now this is a son who makes a statement, I have never disobeyed any of your commandments. The father could send the slaves, you get over that right now, you join this, you eat your food, and you be happy, and you shut up, and you pretend everything is okay. And he could do it, because he doesn't disobey his father. He's a goody two-shoe deluxer. But... That's not the father's heart, because that's not what the father wants. That will only lead to slave-like obedience, and God doesn't want us to relate to him as a a master. He wants us to relate to him as sons and as daughters. And we read there that he entreated him. That is to say that he um, implored, that he begged him. He asked him the exact opposite of a commandment. And he said, won't you join us? He asked him because that is the way. It's not a forceful relationship. He's not trying to get the son to perform the right action. He's trying to awaken in him what a relationship of love is like. The third thing that I see from Scripture is that the father calls him my child. You see, friends, this entire scenario, there is a wrong standing in their relationship because he got one thing right, he doesn't know his identity, he relates to his father as a slave, and the father settles this thing with the simple words, my child, just those simple words, that's the essence of our relationship, you are a son, you are a daughter, I'm a son, Fourth point that I see from Scripture, and this is a tricky one, in verse 31, we read, My child, you've always been with me, or literally it says, you are always with me. And here's the deepest void that has been in the elder brother's life, is the fact that he felt that something was lacking. When his, his younger brother came back and there was a party and there was music and there was dancing and there... All these things took place and happened. He sat back and he reassessed his life and he said, you know what's missing in my life? It's that thing. That, that, that my relation, the fact that I'm with my dad every day, that's not good enough. What I need is that. And the other brother, the rebellious brother, came back. He squandered everything. And only thing that he desired was to be in the presence of his father. And he said, I will lower myself to be a slave. I don't care about any social standing. I just want to be back in your house, and I will, I will be with the servants. And the father rejoices because what this younger son, what the rebellious son desires is just presence. Yeah. And this oldest son looks at presence, and the father said, but you've been with me always. And he says, that's not good enough. What I want things. Because he relates to his father as a slave. And a slave works for what? For a wage. But the father gives an inheritance. Disconnect. The first point that I see from scripture is that the father says, all that is mine is yours. In verse 31 he says, all that is mine is yours. Now Jesus is looking He's speaking to the tax collectors. He's looking over their heads. He's sitting with with sinners, tax collectors, harlots, all kinds of people. And and he's saying, all that is mine is yours. And a part of what is his, a part of his inheritance, he will never enter into his inheritance if he doesn't join that table. Friends, we will never enter into into the inheritance that God has got for us. If we are out in the field and we're looking in and we're grumbling because what is what God, because of what God is doing in other people's lives, a part of our inheritance is their inheritance. Yeah. We need to enter into that. So again, I want to come back to the question and ask you, where are you? Where is your heart? We're going to close and... Last week, our our overarching theme for this last couple of weeks comes from Matthew 10, and it's from the Message Scripture, uh, from the Message Translation. We're using the Message Translation. And I just want to read that to you. And then I'm going to focus on two things. And it goes like this. You don't have to open up at your Bible, because it's Message Translation. Um, Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start Oh, sorry. Jesus, sorry, sorry. So now let's go back one. Apologies. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. I love that. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Did I completely mess that up? Yeah. Yeah, let's get it good again. It's so good we can do that again. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers, and don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost and the confused people right here in the neighborhood and tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. So you've been treated. You have been treated generously. So live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Last week we focused... At Milneton, on, on the first two things, is going to the lost and confused people right here in the neighborhood. And I want to go back to that charge and ask you, friends, just know your neighbors. What if love your neighbor means actually knowing the, your neighbor's name? Simple. Just n- love your neighbors. Just start with a relationship. Know their name. And the second thing is tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's all good and well if if we are meeting with people who's outside the fold at this point in time, and we think we're incredibly relevant, and we take photos and we post it on Instagram, relevant and cool and hip and happening and all of that stuff. But that's not the aim. The aim is to proclaim. The aim is to actually tell people that, like Mark said, what about Jesus? To actually utter those words. Tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And there's this one beautiful story, that I always go, it's one of my favorite stories, it's um, of David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz. And he was a, he was a guy who lived in middle America. He saw in the paper four, four youths that killed a boy for no reason. He packed up, he went, and, and he wanted to minister to those people. And anyway, long story short, he ended up with a ministry um, in New, New York. Nicky Cruz was a guy who left Puerto Rico. He was born there. His parents were both Satanists. His mother dubbed gave him a name, the spawn of, uh, son of Satan, Okay, so needless to say, he didn't turn out too well. And um, now he was a 15-year-old gang member. And David Wilkerson walked up to him and he told him, Jesus loves you. And he started swearing profusely. He slapped him around and he took out his switchblade and he told him, son, if you cut me into a thousand pieces, every one of these thousand pieces will say that Jesus loves you. There needs to be a time when we proclaim the, 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 the gospel. And, and that was this, so, so, that's important. So, to this week, I want us to focus to go one step further. Ask yourself, where is your heart? How, what is your attitude towards outsiders? And then it's just, we have been treated so generously. We've been treated incredibly generously. And we have nothing to contribute to our own salvation but sin. So let's live generously now. Let's go over. Let's encourage people. Let's make our doors wide open. Um, to this morning, Wayne Barthes preached, and they said the most beautiful thing about anyone, and it says, that man is, lives in a I don't know if anyone lives in a home that is more open than his, than his home. We have been um, treated so generously. Let's live generously. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us all. That your love knows no boundaries. That your love cannot be boxed in. That you came out to, to reveal yourself to us and that you desire face to face with each and every one. I pray that, that we would revel in those times. I pray for those times to be, to be real and authentic. And I pray for greater revelations. Break the walls of, of, of religion with, with love. In Jesus' name. Amen.